This podcast is brought to you by, by, by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets. Welcome. Welcome to the age of civic technology, an age where ordinary civilians use their expertise in technological innovations and passion for social justice towards solving challenges facing the public sector. I am Mabatu Munzi and your host. In this series, we will feature women social entrepreneurs in the civic tech space, looking at how they are using civic tech innovations in strengthening their social enterprise activities and how through their civic tech initiatives, they mobilize resources, skills, innovation and communities for better social service delivery. Today, I'm speaking to Tina James. Tina has more than 35 years of consulting experience with a focus on ICTs for development and digital inclusion in Africa, humanitarian assistance, SMMEs, education, sustainable livelihoods, policy and strategy development, innovation and environmental management. Welcome to our Women to Women Mentorship in ICT episode, Tina. Thanks, Nabato. Looking forward to it. How are you keeping? I'm very well this morning and all the better for talking to you. Wonderful. Please tell us how you started Femtech and how it has changed your life. The story of Femtech is, is a long one. It goes back 12 years. And at the time in 2008, I was doing a lot of work in digital inclusion, but felt that we weren't really making the difference or I wasn't making the difference that I, I felt was needed. I met at that time with Dr. Jill Soares, who was the manager in charge of the Maxim Incubator at the Innovation Hub in Pretoria. An opportunity came up through the University of Maryland in the U.S. that wanted to put together a a joint venture with South African women entrepreneurs. And that is really how Jill and I started working together and how we created Femtech as a company. Has it made a difference? Absolutely. It's it's been life-changing in terms of working with a number of women, anything from street vendors to people developing very sophisticated monitoring systems for you know, environmental management, for example. So I think it's the human side of it, you know, seeing women develop from not being confident as entrepreneurs or not even sure that they are entrepreneurs and seeing them emerge on the other side making a difference and you know I think that at the end of the day isn't that a, a great thing to to achieve is is when people feel they're making a difference and actually are in their environments no matter what they tackle. Since the beginning of, of COVID I mean uh, last year how would you say COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected your business operations? Well, it definitely has. We were running a program for women entrepreneurs through the University of Stellenbosch's Launch Lab. Uh, it was a partnership with Launch Lab funded by the Western Cape government. Shortly after we started the, the second program, um, COVID hit and we had to go into lockdown. So we had to totally rewrite our training materials because a lot of our materials focus on self-actualization, looking at you as a woman and what are the issues you face. For example, money issues. Many women are quite comfortable talking about money. Uh, and, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, the only reason you're an entrepreneur is actually to make money. So, you know, how do you reconcile that in yourself if you start to make money and you're uncomfortable with making money? So we didn't know how that would work in an online environment. These are very personal questions. You know, how do you feel about 
your position in society or in your marriage or uh, as an entrepreneur? How do you feel as a woman dealing in a men's world? These are questions that sometimes aren't really discussed. You know, those those interactions when you go into a bank manager's office and, um, you know, then you go home and you have to play the role of mother. So it's all these roles we as women have to play. And we didn't know how that would translate into an online environment where people haven't had contact with each other. 15 women having to share their stories. But honestly, I think it was one of the best training sessions we've ever done. Uh, the, the group of women that we worked with were quite phenomenal and really shared. And, you know, here we were sitting in this pandemic, um, really sharing. I think, uh, you know, so for Femtech, it wasn't, it, it was a huge change, but not as drastic as it was for some of the entrepreneurs we were working with. Some of them had been working in the hospitality industry and suddenly their business collapsed overnight. So that was rather dramatic and, you know, dealing with the panic of what do I do now? I need this income. Others, on the other hand, did exceptionally well. Some of the the entrepreneurs working in the logistics environment had more work than they'd ever had before because all of a sudden e-commerce became the, the way to go and, you know, goods needed to be shipped from A to B a lot more than they did before. So, uh, you know, I think the the stories were, were very different for the women we worked with and some did well, some didn't. In my other company, my Dancing Divas business, which has been my passion for the last 12 years, um, I had to close my studios down. Uh, we just couldn't afford to pay the rent for six months uh, plus plus the economic downturn where people just did not have money to go dancing so and we were the last industry to go back to work i think that was only in september last year so significant it's really been um hard but i think there have been many people who've suffered a lot more and how would you say uh, some of the women you work with um on your programs have dealt with with the pandemic what are some of the stories you you've heard of in terms of the women you you, you do work with on the on these programs well uh you know we haven't kept touch with all of them because the program is now completed uh but the the few that we have some some have actually used the time to plan better and to look at you know how can we innovate in our businesses some went to, into panic mode and said well everybody's making sanitizers you know i have a, a background in that industry perhaps i should make sanitizers and and they just rushed in not understanding that for a small enterprise uh, it's very hard to compete on price and getting into the markets the lady who operated selling fed cooks in in one of the the areas down here in cape town uh she really struggled but you know got inventive and started deliveries so you know i think that's what a lot of people did so it's amazing how enterprising we humans can be when we actually put in a situation then i think once that was achieved then you know we actually uh, saw changes and very positive changes. Um, how would you say you perceive leadership or what is your perception of leadership? That's a big question, Mabato. You know, I think th- th- there's so many theories on leadership. The one that we tend to use with our entrepreneurs is what's called the continuum leadership model, you know, which looks at, at seven types of, of leadership. But I think in a nutshell, you know, leadership, it's what you are as the leader. And, you know, leadership is defined as there's got to be a purpose. 
it doesn't matter what that purpose is, whether you're creating a vegetable garden or whether you're creating schedules for your family so that everybody helps with the housework or whether you're in actual fact managing a, a large multinational corporation. At the end of the day, there has to be a goal and there have to be people that you have to take towards that goal. And I think in leadership, whatever that is, it's to get there in the most optimal way. So it's not just fiddling along, but it's an actual fact. How can I best lead these people? At the end of the day, that comes down to you as a leader. I think the days of military leaders in bosses, well, unless you're in the military, it's not an appropriate style. I think most management styles these days are much more about influencing people. So it's not about the position you hold. It's an actual fact about what you as a person can do to influence people and get them all moving in the right way. So I think there's an, uh, an emotional jump that a number of startup women entrepreneurs need to make to say, I am here, I am leading this business, I am giving direction. And those are things that often we need to grow into. So it's a bit of a roundabout answer to what leadership is. But, uh, you know, I think it, it comes down to the individual and how they perceive themselves in that leadership role. Tina, talking about leadership, my follow-up question, which you touched on a bit, was going to be around whether the women you work with see themselves as leaders. Because I think a lot of the time, as women, we don't realize just how much we do. Um, whether it is in the home, whether it is um, relating to our entrepreneurial endeavors, I think we, we, we often do not recognize just how much we do. And from a leadership perspective, I don't think we see leadership as something that we, we do and that we do so well. I agree. You know, I think there there are a few women who, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's upbringing or role models, in quite a few cases, we've heard with our entrepreneurs that the the dads play a really important role. You know, um, the number of times women have said, you know, my dad was always there for me. He always pushed me to be harder, uh, you know, to push harder, to be more of myself. But, you know, that isn't the case in, in, in a lot of women, you know, so... One, one can't really generalize. Mm. But I think on the whole, you know, it sounds a bit hackneyed, but the imposter syndrome where we don't believe we deserve it, it comes up so frequently in the, in the conversations, you know, well, uh, oh, I've done this, but, but, but. And that we don't actually give ourselves on the, a pat on the back and say, you know, girl, great stuff. You did a really good job there. And that good job could be growing a community vegetable garden and, you know, getting a community uh, together around an issue or, you know, whether it's around the role you play in your church or, or you know, your stock fell. Um, in all of those, it's acknowledging that we also play leadership roles in different ways. You know, you may be a leader in, in your own business, but when you go to the school and have a meeting, you're in actual fact don't play a leadership role and don't want to. So I think it's also acknowledging, going back to you as a person and saying, this is really what I want and acknowledging and being aware of the fact that you are making a difference, you know, that you are taking people in a direction, that you are influencing people, whoever those people might be, whether it's in a, in a business or in a civic enterprise, you know, uh, a good leader is a good leader anywhere. I think from all my years of, of you know, visiting rural areas, in many countries, uh, when we did work on digital inclusion, you could see the communities where there was leadership, you know, whether it was male leadership or female leadership, those communities just work better. 
feeding schemes worked better. The children seemed happier. The houses in the in the village just all seemed neater. The the rubbish wasn't just dumped in a place; it was taken care of. Um, and that was generally down to good leadership somewhere in that community. So really important. So um, from from an economic point of view, um, a, a lot of the e- economic power still lies in the hands of men. Um, we are in the 21st century. We hear of governments creating all these different opportunities for women. I mean, in, in South Africa, the BE codes prioritize women. But would you say that economic opportunities are more available to men than they are to women still, even you know, in the tech space? Well, yes. I think the short answer is yes, there are differences. Uh, They may not always be differences on paper. And I think the tech space is a very good example. There's there's nothing on paper that says women can't apply for grants or awards. But in a lot of cases, women do not apply for those and they they do not always win those awards. Although I think things have changed. Uh, You know, they're definitely is a changing pattern and I think you know all the work that's been done over the last 30 years has definitely made a difference and I think the policies in our country have definitely put women more at the forefront but you know sometimes we women also tend to to kick ourselves in the foot and through our behaviors we will say oh you know I can't do that and then won't actually go won't put ourselves up for a competition or for an award or, you know, still in the sciences, there are not as many women as men. Um, and, you know, when one looks at incubators, even over the last 10, 20 years, the numbers going into incubators in, in tech incubators is still very low. I think it's 10 to 15% if you're lucky. If you've been in any of those incubators, they can be very intimidating places for women. If you already have a bit of a confidence issue, and you walk in and it's a very male environment, um, you know, it may be perceived as being a very unwoman friendly environment in which to work. I think in South Africa, we're lucky things, you know, I, I think just the example we've had, you know, the number of powerful women we've had as leaders since, uh, you know, the end of apartheid have been very good role models. And, but, there seems to be almost a bit of a, a movement backwards, and certainly in some of the African countries, it's hard. It's hard. It's harder for women to get bank loans. It's harder for women to get venture capital. It's uh, you know in the tech space, I think women um, do, do have additional challenges, and and often they they they're not the ones that, that one can see straight off. In rural areas, you know, if you're dealing with rural women farmers, for example, you know, the data is there, yes, women have phones, but when you start digging deeper, you find, yes, they have a phone, but the husband, well, for example, the, in Zambia, we were told by women's groups, the husband will take the phone during the day, so the woman who needs to order food, you know, seed, for example, or fertilizer, can't do so because she doesn't, she, yes, there's a phone in the household, but she doesn't always have access. And we've seen even over the years in our entrepreneurs, they will have the hand-me-down phones from husbands mm. or brothers. And then, of course, not in this country, but certainly in some of the Middle Eastern countries, women may not buy phones. So, you know, a brother or a husband or a male friend will have to buy the phone. 
Talking about access, do you think we are getting any closer to bridging the gap in terms of women having access to digital platforms, having access, you know, to online communication? I think so. You know, um, the the GSMA, which is the Mobile Operators Association, produces, I think, an annual or a biannual report on looking at the gender gap. It is closing. It's definitely closing in terms of phone use and so on. But in many uh, poorer communities, you know, the 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 two double whammies for for women, often their levels of of literacy, you know, reading and writing are limited, and then the second whammy is digital literacy. And you know, if you add those two together, there is still a gap that needs to be bridged. But it is it is closing. I think a lot of the mobile operators these days are moving more towards icon-based or voice-based or text-to-speech. Uh, so, you know, there, there's so many accessibility options that exist with mobile, and most people have a mobile, even if it's a basic feature phone, that I think these things will slowly start disappearing. But, yeah, there is still a gap. Talking about some of some of the experiences women have uh, when it comes to tech spaces, having access. Um, I mean, in recent years, we've seen a surge in gender-based violence. We've also seen how people get bullied online. How do you think digital tech uh, platforms play a role in facilitating and resisting various forms of online gendered uh, violence and, and surveillance? It's not an area I've done a, a lot of work in, to be honest. But, you know, I think if one rather looks at the preventive side, because, you know, the bullying is not just gender-based. The, you know, it happens with children, uh, and, and, and that's frequently becoming an issue. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's about education. These platforms exist, and I think it's about educating women about what they can and cannot do. And, and I think women also need to take responsibility for their own safety online, for what they post online. Uh, you know, just anecdotally, you know, some of the pictures that, that women post online, um, you know, may not be appropriate. And, you know, one can say, yes, do not do that. But I think at the end of the day, one also as a woman, ha- you have to be aware of what you're posting out there goes into the public space. And, you know, in an ideal world, that wouldn't matter. You know, if everybody was honest and ethical, that that, that wouldn't be a problem. But that that isn't the case. And so I think the approach to using the, you know, any of these platforms is teach women and teach them that they have rights in these things, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, the whole online safety is is something that should absolutely be included in, in any kinds of these, these kinds of initiatives, you know, some of the risks that you that you expose yourself to and what you can do about them. I do know that in some countries, for example, in India, there's a lot of resistance to uh, many communities there for women not to own mobile phones simply for that reason that uh, you know it is felt that that they will be exposed to, to pornography and uh, you know um, abuse um, you know at the end of the day i think it's about education correct You've mentioned Zambia and other African countries quite a bit uh, just in talking about your programs. Do you have some successful case studies uh, from, you know, your programs that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I'm smiling because I'm thinking of a, a young woman, Hyacinthan Tuyeko, Tanzanian entrepreneur who 
joined our course, I think in 2013 or 2012. And she worked with feminine hygiene products. So she was selling uh, sanitary towels and um, a couple of other things, selling mm. in the local markets. She was a, a graduate engineer, couldn't find work, and decided that, you know, she needed to do something for herself. And then she went on our training course and cut a long story short, you know, she's won so many awards over the last few years, but she is in actual fact taken her company, Glory Sanitary Products, from Tanzania, found Chinese producers. So she makes a bamboo-based uh, sanitary towel. Uh, so she managed to find uh, yeah, a, a company in, in China. She got the Chinese embassy involved in helping her find manufacturers. And the long end of it is she's now, or the, the short end of it is that she's raised, she, she's been running awareness campaigns in the hospital. She's got a whole team of volunteer workers educating women on menstruation and sanitary towels and, and so on. So she's become a real activist. And at the same time, she's selling her products and she's not selling them in the local spas, in the local markets. She's on the big shelves. And she was in South Africa in June last year and talked to our entrepreneurs on the, the training program. And why was she here? Because 300 of the clicks in South Africa are actually going to be stocking her product. Oh, so I think that is an amazing story of somebody who came in with really not a very good product and has really turned that around into something that's now exportable. So go and have a look and click, see if you can find the product. I would like to start uh, wrapping up our conversation. And I think I really just want to ask, in considering everything that's happening globally from an economic perspective, we are now dealing with a pandemic. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when we will go back to our normal. What are the plans um, for you and your business going forward? Well, actually very exciting. Um, Jill and, and myself... Uh, decided that it is is time for us to venture into new directions ourselves, uh, of which we don't yet know what those are going to be. And we are in the process of selling Femtech to uh, a training partner um, that, that we've been working with since 2012. And they will be taking this over. We're in the final stages uh, of, of signing the documents. And we think that's this group of women, they, it's a woman-led business, um, is going to take this business way and beyond, you know, we, we, we could or want at this stage of the game. They grew their business from two young women who could hardly pay themselves to, I think they now have 18 young people that, that work with them and that they've trained up. So we think Femtech is going to be in fantastic hands. They've been expanding and doing all kinds of other work in the business development space and also quite a lot of social enterprise. They work with quite a few uh, social entrepreneurs. So we think that's a, a wonderful way for us to wrap up our, our Femtech company is, is to pass the baton on to younger blood um, that, that really lives out what, what we believe Femtech needs to be doing. And on the personal side, you know, on the dancing business, I'm sitting with 1,200 hats and feathers and canes. Um, so on that side, I intend winging it with my feathers and creating a, a fun space once COVID is over to, to run events 
Um, so we rebranding and reimagination on that side. And um, Jill is, you know, she will continue working in the incubation space. So, um, so actually out of all of this, one has to become creative. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that's very much the pattern out there so that one can see beyond. I think the world is very different. I think people value things differently. People value connections and people more. And I'm pretty certain we're going to be seeing differences in ways of work, more people working remotely, but also needing to connect on a personal level because the isolation and the loneliness could be a problem. So I actually think there could be exciting times ahead and, and hopefully there will also be a change in our social environments. Also great that you are, like you said, handing the baton on to fresh minds, fresh ideas. I think we don't see a lot of that in Africa particularly. I think a lot of the time people want to hold on to power, to success, to all these things um, and, and, and forget to, to share it, you know, forget to mentor. Because that is what leadership, I think, is is also about being able to give other people an opportunity to do more than what you have done. Yeah. I really think that is that is fantastic, and I, I'd love to wish you all of the best in all your new endeavors. Uh, we will be sure to look out for the developments at FMTech. Please keep us in the loop, and I'd like to thank you very much for for taking the time to have a conversation with us and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Lobato. This has been lovely. It's been so lovely sharing these experiences and good luck with your venture. Thank you. That was Tina James from Femtech. I hope you were inspired and enjoyed the conversation. Please join our next episode. We speak to Zine Nkukwana and our focus will be women leading in technology. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets.